Hello and welcome to BSI and to today's webinar, Thinking Differently, Defining Future Success for a Sustainable, Resilient Business, the Circular Economy. My name is Charlotte Brodie. I'm the Global Head of Marketing for the Built Environment at BSI and I'm delighted to be joined by Martin Townsend, our Global Head of Sustainability and Circular Economy. In his career to date, Martin has worked as an environmental regulator, advised ministers, worked with city mayors and businesses across the world of all sizes and from all sectors to ensure sustainability comes alive and is an enabler of business success. Martin has also been a keynote speaker at many international conferences to ensure that as a global community, we accelerate the rate of change whilst reducing the impact that we have. Martin joined us in November 2019, and he also sits on several advisory boards for public and private sector organisations to support them in their success. Thank you, Martin, for joining us here today, and I'm really looking forward to today's session. Moving on, to explain a little bit about BSI, many of you will be familiar with us as the UK's national standards body. We have a strict governance around our business streams and are incorporated by Royal Charter. Our product portfolio is extensive and we support clients globally through standard shaping, whether this be British, international, publicly available specifications or bespoke standards, and providing technical support and guidance from our knowledge solutions business. And we provide assurance whether that's training or certification services to help clients embed and demonstrate best practice through the adoption of standards. And we offer consultancy. So moving on, our purpose is inspiring trust for a more resilient world. We help to shape and guide innovation through improving and standardizing business processes, products and services to enable advancement. We are independent and free from any outside influence as all profit is reinvested in BSI to help us to continue to support and drive further change. Moving on, in the built environment, we have three clear objectives to support governments and specifiers to procure products and services with confidence, to enable our clients to become more resilient, sustainable and successful and to support innovation that drives industry forward. And we support organizations right across the entire breadth of the asset life cycle, particularly in the areas of digital transformation, health, safety, and well-being, supply chain and procurement, and of course, sustainability, which is our main topic of discussion today. So moving on, before I hand over to Martin to begin, I'd like to run a poll to gather from you our audience where you might place your organisation in relation to resilience. And to give you some context before we do that, on the screen you will see the four key phases that we've identified which respond to the current scenario that we find ourselves in. So we have survive, which is getting to a place of relative safety together, stabilise, maintaining security, safety and well-being, rebuild, setting a revised course for the next normal and resilient, where an organization is forward planning to achieve a secure future where the next normal now becomes the established and accepted new global perspective. So with that in mind, we'd like to launch the first poll, which is anonymous, and please select your top answer. What phase is your organization in now? Is it survive, 
stabilize, rebuild, or are you resilient? So do step out of full screen mode if this helps for you to take part in the poll. And I know Martin is looking forward as much as I am to seeing what the results are. We ran this poll a few months back uh, and it will be interesting to see where you see yourselves currently. And do remember, we have a questions box uh, and I will be asking Martin as many of these questions as I can at the end of today's session. So do enter those as we go through. Um, also, whilst we're waiting, just a note, uh, we often find that those who join uh, our webinars think that others in their organisations may be interested in the content as well. So do look out for the recording. Uh, you will receive it by email in a few days time uh, and we can uh, send this out to you. OK, so I think we will now um, look at the results of the poll. Just waiting for those to come up onto the screen. And uh, this is quite an interesting result. So thank you, everybody, for taking part. Um, the top answer at 33% is rebuild. So 33, just well, a third of you um, are telling us that your organization is in the rebuild stage. And then we have a joint second between organizations that are stabilizing and organizations that are resilient. And then finally, uh, at 7%, um, we have people who've joined us today whose organizations are in the survive phase. So thank you very much for, for sharing those. Um, and I will now hand over to Martin to comment um, and to start today's topic. That's brilliant, thank you. Thank you, Charlotte, and thank you for uh, the introduction. Um, so, um, where shall I start? Um, this is a fascinating topic, um, and I'm sure for many of you, the listeners who are on this webinar, um, you're here because you, you've heard about circular economy. Uh, you've heard about some of the, the great work that's been going on across the world in terms of driving this change. And I think for me, um, this conversation is the one that really embraces a lot that we need to do around sustainability. Uh, when we start to have these conversations about what does better look like, when, what does building back better look like from a, a COVID situation, I think the circle economy is front and centre in that. And, and, and why is that? Because I think we're now much more conscious of the natural resources that are used in construction projects. We're very aware, um, as you've indicated in this poll, that actually we need to think differently in terms of our business models. We are in a much more connected digital world. Uh, we're now much more aware in terms of the fragility of our supply chains, in terms of how dependent we are on different parts of the world, in terms of the construction process and materials and products that actually make up our buildings and our infrastructure. And so circular economy for me um, is a coming of age. And, and what I want to try and do through this sort of this webinar is, is really unwrap it in the best way I can. Uh, I'm mindful that every listener is in a different place of this conversation. Some of you are probably very advanced and are just looking to top up some of your knowledge to be challenged in some areas. Uh, other people might be joining just to kind of get an understanding and get their head around what circularity is. And so I'm, I'm going to try and sort of support you um, from all those different perspectives in terms of uh, what we're doing and, and how we can help you improve. So. Um, because that's a hell of a lot to cover uh, in a relatively short period of time. I'm, I've got a bit of a, a structure, uh, as you would expect, in terms of um, a webinar from, from BSI. Uh, on the left-hand side, um, 
uh, I've copied and pasted uh, what um, you're expecting to see from the website when you signed up. And, and to achieve that, um, I uh, want, really want to kind of talk about um, Industry 4.0. I think it's important to understand where we are as society and the changes we've been through and what those enablers were and what those uh, things that we have seen in terms of change across uh, countries and regions of the world in terms of uh, industrial change. Uh, I want to kind of understand what the linear economy is because in many respects that's where we are in construction. And then start to obviously talk about how we move from this linear uh, take, make, dispose uh, mindset into circularity. Uh, unpack that for you, start to kind of explore some examples, um, some some quick case studies. And if we've got time, I'm sure you would challenge me to, to share even more with you. Uh, help understand uh, what market transformation looks like, where we might be maybe in the next five, 10 years. Uh, share with you uh, BSI's um, kind of work in this space. Obviously, we were the author of the first circularity, circular economy standard, uh, BS 8001, uh, and our thinking and our work continues in that space. Um, but most important, and I say this um, on every webinar that I um, participate in, um, these, these kind of webinars, um, as you can probably all imagine, imagine some of you have actually done webinars yourself, you're sitting at home, you're talking to a computer screen, and you hope people are listening. And I, I honestly believe that if we want to see the industry improve, this isn't about monologues. This isn't about me talking to my computer screen, um, and ably supported by colleagues in BSI. Uh, change will only really happen if this is a conversation, because uh, I want to help you. And actually, I need you to help me as well, because uh, as we create our standards, as we create our assurance solutions, as we create our training courses, and I can talk about that a little bit later if needed, um, we need your feedback because um, changing the industry, supporting the industry to think differently is no easy task. And it can't be done by one organization. It is about collaboration. It is about making sure that we work together uh, on a common agenda to try and make sure that we uh, seek uh, improvement and seek change. So all of that in uh, less than 45 minutes. Um, bad example of presentation preparation, I suppose. Um, this morning when I was putting together the presentation, um, I was reviewing what I'd written um, a couple of days before and I was thinking, um, I probably need to start with a definition. And it comes back to the point that I mentioned at the start that Every one of you is probably starting from a very different place. And I was looking at various definitions that exist around the circular economy. And I think this is uh, probably the best one that um, embraces what I really want to try and talk to you about. It's talking about how we need to move away from that take, make, uh, dispose um, way of thinking. It's about making sure that we see economic success you know all businesses are dependent particularly at the moment on being successful to survive but actually in doing that making sure we really have great appreciation of economic natural and social capital um, in a couple of slides time i want to go further than that because i actually think that um, if we look at the six capital model which is about sustainability and defining uh, what the components are i think the more components to that um, in terms of driving change. And I'm going to kind of share that some of that with you. Um, it is about 
designing out waste and pollution. Um, you know, we, uh, uh, the construction industry, and I've got some stats on this later, you know, does use a lot of raw materials and does create a lot of pollution for the environment. You know, if we think more carefully, if we think in a more considerate way, we can design that out. It does mean we need to shift the emphasis to the start of the design process, but it does and, and is possible to do. And we need to think about our products and our services. There's going to be a lot about products and services in the experience economy and the regenerative nature of systems that we need to create and the materials we use. Um, so there's a lot to discuss. But I thought I just wanted to kind of start there to get your mind thinking about what are we talking about today? And I thought a definition is always a really good starting point. So um, when I did my introduction on that very first slide, um, I said I wanted to start here. I wanted to start with Industry 4.0. Um, and the reason I say that is because for me, there are a lot of things coming together now which are enablers for circularity, the circular economy. So if we go back in time and we think about um, the first mechanization and, and sort of um, new manufacturing processes and the use of water power, steam power, uh, engines to really make sure that we were uh, mass producing things and actually producing things in a more efficient way. It was about taking a step forward in terms of production. Um, we then moved to a point where electrification uh, came to us and, and also, at the same time, we were kind of like global, the global agenda in terms of globalization and actually trade between nations and making sure that that happened more freely, uh, supported by, you know, improved communications through the telegraph, uh, water supply, gas supply, to make sure that we were really kind of stepping forward in terms of um, that, that need for new products, you know, in a, in a world uh, agenda in terms of trade. Um, you move to the 60s, the 70s, um, and for some of us on the line, you know, you know the 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 kind of the the advent of computing, uh, computing um, computers and the internet, um, robots, uh, automation, um, but but automation robots in a kind of a slightly isolated way in terms of um, serving a particular function. And if we come to today where we are at the moment, um, it's about being smart. It is about connectivity. It is about joining together um, uh, technology which can talk and share information. It's about machine learning, some really clever work that's going on around AI and actually making sure that we can use that to great effect in the construction industry. And that in its own right is probably a webinar of many hours worth of length, I suppose, talking about some of that technology and how that will make uh, major change to the way the industry is working. The reason I mention all of those things is because I think this is now maturing the conversation around circularity. By using technology, by sharing data, we can make better decisions around materials and, and we can look at buildings as resource banks. We can start to think about uh, service models which actually help us optimize our products that optimize um, how they're being installed um, and understanding more about how we can improve those products and how we can make uh, that a real kind of service economy. Um, the most important thing to say here though, because I know I would be challenged if I didn't say this, is that it doesn't mean that circularity is now, um, you know, um, 
just coming to be born because if we go back in time uh generations before us have been much better at repairing um reusing um using natural materials in terms of construction and if i kind of give you an example uh, i remember attending a lecture uh, it must be 10 or 15 years ago now i suppose where uh, a building which was um, constructed uh, in india uh, the architect was was giving a presentation and everybody, uh, including myself at the start of this lecture, was assuming he was talking about this high-tech modern building, uh, which he was just won awards for. He talked about uh, regenerative kind of processes. He talked about natural materials. He talked about good design, good performance in terms of making sure the building was up to stand for the client's needs uh, using um, natural processes um, and everybody was taking copious notes thinking this is really really good stuff his last slide in an hour-long presentation was a hindu temple built centuries ago and i think sometimes it is a, a sharp reminder that although we are using words which are about kind of new thinking new ideas a lot of it is based on good practice that sometimes we as an industry have forgotten about. Um, so I just wanted to kind of just add that point of reflection, I suppose. Um, if I take this slide, which is, you know, the same arrow from the previous slide, but strip it back, what we've basically are seeing uh, as we've moved through those various kind of stages um, in terms of how we've kind of um, mechanized ourselves and improved our connectivity. We've basically gone from commodities, extraction from materials from the ground to make products, uh, to create services. And we are now on a journey to the experience economy. And so this space that we're creating between products and service and experience is where the circular economy, in my mind, really comes alive. It is about really thinking differently in terms of what we do, how we operate. Um, and how we kind of really make the most of that to solve many of the problems that the industry is facing at the moment. Um, and that's where, you know, when I put up the previous slide, which was uh, the definition of what um, uh, the circular economy is, uh, it had three components. Um, I have, have done a lot of reflecting, as has BSI in recent weeks and months uh, since I joined. <clears throat> about what is sustainability for us? Uh, where do our standards um, help and support you, our clients, our customers to improve? And I suppose for me, uh, it isn't about just the environment and social and economic. I think we need to unpick that a small amount to the next level. So if I kind of just explain this to you, um, it is about um, you, if you are working in the construction industry, having a really strong brand and having a, a true strong relationship with your customers. You know, if you are doing the right thing in terms of the way you operate, in the way your product operates, your customers will come back to you. That social capital, that relationship with your community or with your customer is fundamental to your success. And sustainability should be about being inclusive. Some of the drivers that we're, we're seeing uh, across the world at the moment uh, brought about by technology, the Internet of Things and the ability for us to all get onto our computers and, and search for things is about transparency. And actually, it's very easy now to see how good or bad your product is by feedback. And actually, if you 
don't really embrace this kind of um, social capital, um, then I think, you know, um, there was a point of reflection that maybe um, you and others need to kind of take. Um, central to success are the people you employ. And so I think the human capital, the workforce, its well-being, its safety, um, its diversity, um, its capability is important to success. So this kind of, you know, our typical definition of Brundtland in terms of what sustainability is, is, is fundamentally cornerstone on, on kind of making sure that if we create new buildings or create new infrastructure, we do it in a way that is healthy. We are making our workforce productive. And in this conversation, which we're gonna have over the next few minutes or so, um, it is about selecting materials which basically are non-hazardous. It is about creating services that support people to be the best they can be. Uh, in this sort of same conversation uh, on the bottom line there, um, fundamental to sustainability is an appreciation that we need to treat our resources um, sensitively. We need to make sure that we're mindful and we measure and we reduce the amount of carbon uh, that we emit, that we make sure that we're efficient in the use of our water and other the resources that we use in the construction process. So this kind of group of six, I suppose, you know, cornerstone is environment capital. Um, but what is often forgotten that if we're going to uh, build back better, which is a phrase I've used already today, um, how do we do that in a way that really uh, generates new knowledge? Um, and I think, you know, another important part of this process is intellectual capital. The industry needs to innovate. The industry needs to improve. We need to think about the impact we have. We need to think and understand and use the data that we've talked about a lot already today to actually improve the impact we have. How do we innovate? How do we really drive that intellectual capital within the industry, within your business? And I, I, I honestly believe that the circular economy is fundamental to that. And then the last two of my group of six, um, product to service. Um, and that's about making sure that the asset reliability, uh, the offices, the factories, the IT, whatever you need to make sure that you su succeed as a business is as efficient as possible. And that you know, comes back to this point about the use of data, the use or the relationship between your supply chain. How do you make sure that you're creating relationships that are more partnerships than contractual? And we'll talk a little bit about that later on. And then the last uh, element is about finance. Um, there was a great presentation that I was fortunate to uh, partake in, which was Mark Carney um, talking about the future of finance. And he was reflecting uh, in his new role around the point that um, if you as a business are not taking account of the other five elements that you can see on the screen there, there's a very strong possibility that your brand and your risk profile will be such that investors will look at you and go, well, you're not looking after your staff, you're not looking after the environment, you're not engaging your customers, you're not innovating. Are you a good investment in terms of actually giving you uh, more money to invest in your business. If I was a venture capitalist, would I invest in you? And it's a kind of stark reminder that uh, business needs money to survive. And actually, you need to innovate. You need to take account of the environment and your staff to succeed in that space. So uh, I wanted to kind of just define and redefine what I saw to be sustainability. Um, 
let's just take a bit of a kind of uh, a reminder though that although this is all very positive and it's very easy to run webinars and actually uh, look to the future we do need to live in the moment and at the moment the construction industry is the biggest user user of raw materials worldwide you know um, by nature the construction industry just sucks resources in um, we need to you know through circularity we need to think about how and what we build and how that material is used and how we think about its reuse its repurposing etc you know how we think about you know um monomesa construction how we think about component design and actually um how we can repair some of those elements things we're going to talk about a little bit in a minute the impact of all that is that the built environment has a massive impact in terms of emissions you know we need to really make sure that we reduce those emissions by the way we design uh, the way we think about our built environment it's going to be fascinating uh, and i'm quite sure the jury's still out very much around what will the built environment look like in a post-covid world you know will we need less real estate will we need different real estate if we are going to be working at home more you know does that affect our domestic properties what does it mean in terms of adaptability in terms of an aging population uh, and and how we might need to manage our spaces uh, in terms of that work-life balance etc um, all of this um, linked quite nicely in terms of at the moment the data is saying that you know with all the mega trends in terms of urbanization and mega cities you know we're increasing our demand on raw material there are great examples uh, some of which i'll share with you shortly which are bucking that trend you know if we think more creatively about how we design our buildings and our infrastructure and our cities we can break we can uncouple uh, that definition from uh, circular economy some of those mega trends as we start to increase our population how do we make sure that we really understand that and then I know that the fundamental point about circularity is the fact that at the moment uh, the way we look at materials in construction a lot of them are gone for good now we need to break that completely when we talk about circularity we need to make sure that we really understand that that shouldn't uh, be the case um, from that kind of position of uh, the industry um, has a lot to do there are some shining examples um, in our built environment of companies architects developers um, who are thinking differently and so from that example of uh, we've got a lot to do the the future for me uh, is very bright there are a lot of people who really understand about good design uh, who are being creative in terms of adapting understanding what we need to do differently thinking about how we design out waste and pollution how we uh, really think about the materials and their reuse um, etc this is an example that uh, i've been involved with uh, with a, a planning authority where it was an existing car park uh, the area still uses a carpet but they're actually using the space above the parking bays uh, to provide um, um, uh, affordable housing it is modular by design it is built in the factory incredibly highly efficiently uh, very effectively in terms of speed of construction speed of planning 
Um, and if this site for any reason needs to be used for something else, you can lift those modules off, put them back onto a lorry and move them to another site. It is by nature a very adaptable, very creative way of thinking about space and the problems presented in urban areas. Um, and actually is a good example as well where the fabric efficiency of those modules is so good that it consumes uh, less energy than it produces. And so there's a surplus energy that's either used to charge the electric vehicles or actually support the local community. So, you know, we can be creative, we can innovate, we can think about different business models uh, to make sure that we uh, build differently in the future. So I've, I've talked a lot already. I've kind of tried to get you to think a slightly different way about circularity, but I've not really unpicked or not unwrapped this kind of conversation about what what goes into circularity. What do we need to think about as we start to build our thoughts and ideas in terms of how the industry needs to change? So um, that donut on the screen in front of you has um, five components. So we just kind of quickly go around the components. I'm going to unpack some of those a little bit more, um, a little bit further on as well. So when we talk about circularity, I think one of the most important things is to understand that it is about circular inputs. Um, how do we make sure that as we think about our designs, we think about the materials that go into construction, that we're talking about non-toxic. We're talking about high-grade, recycled, um, biodegradable materials. We're thinking about materials that go into that building. All of the materials may not fall into those categories. There might be other materials, but we need to think of in the main of, of how that space is going to be occupied. What is the impact? Uh, how can we, uh, when we come to the end of life of a product or an asset or part of an asset, how can we actually ensure we've got confidence in the materials that have gone into that space? Uh, in that, uh, value is fundamental. Um, when I was putting together the, the six capital um, kind of diagram, I was playing around whether there's a kind of another element to it, but I think it's actually, um, it's kind of, uh, it's part of all those other elements that uh, sustainability is about value creation. How do we make sure that we are creating value in the work we do uh, in terms of, you know, saving energy or reducing carbon emissions because regulatory bases might change? Um, and in terms of when we think about raw materials, how do we make sure that we can reuse components reuse buildings and actually create new materials from them and then um, and as, as I mentioned already the reason I think this conversation is really coming alive at the moment is I'm seeing a wealth of ability to share um, better knowledge around buildings and their components and I suppose to some extent and this is the subject of another webinar where we could have many great conversations um, among ourselves about you know, BIM and how it is helping us understand uh, our built environment, how it's helping us understand um, how we can use materials and what's in a building in a much more effective way. And those sharing platforms now and in the future, I think, are going to become much, much more important to help us uh, make uh, decisions in terms of how we can uh, reuse components, how we can refurbish parts of buildings. Um, and then the two other elements here is lifetime extension. I'm going to come about uh, onto this a little bit more um, later on, but we need to think very differently about our products. We need to make sure that we can design them in a way that they are repairable, they are upgradable, we can renovate them. We are thinking about um, a model where 
you know, we are selling them as a service. And actually, that's part of the process in terms of how we will transact with our clients, with our customers. And that kind of leads quite nicely onto this product to service. If you think differently, uh, the way you will make money, the way you might think about uh, those transactions are fundamentally different. And so as you saw, see on the left-hand side, some slides I put up previously, there is a kind of coming together in terms of the product to service, the, the digital agenda, and our understanding the impact that the built environment has on environment and society and our staff. So it's kind of trying to pull this all together in terms of a way we can understand. Um, when we kind of start to look at this in a little bit more detail, uh, and, and it's important that we have honest conversations here because uh, I don't want to give you the impression that this is the answer to everything and everything is easy and, you know, uh, the world and the world that we operate in as businesses is fragile and it does contain risks and it does have challenges uh, in terms of moving forward. But when we start to think about things like circular inputs, there are positives and there are negatives. So understanding the future in terms of what regulations uh, might come into place, might have an impact around circularity and what we can and can't do. Um, it's a positive because you could be ahead of regulation if you design the components in the right way. It could be a challenge if you don't. But actually what it does mean that if we think about circularity and circular inputs, it gives us the possibility uh, of uh, new revenue streams and new returns. Uh, it gives us uh, a way of thinking differently. Um, so I think, you know, when we talk about circular inputs, there's a lot of opportunities there. Um, going back to this this point about product to service, um, it's probably worthwhile throwing now, I suppose, an example at you just to kind of bring this alive a little bit more. Um, if I use the example um, around um, a construction project that um, has procured a, a roofing solution and so you're buying product you're buying product to put on the roof to make the building uh, watertight that is about a transaction that you buy that product it is installed um, and then you might have a maintenance contract that sits beside it or you might um, procure that maintenance as and when required um, if we think about product to service in this circular economy conversation, um, you're not buying a product anymore. You're buying the feature of water tightness. And the person who's installing um, those products is very mindful of that. So they might uh, install chips in that construction so they can monitor uh, how that roof, uh, how that water tightness is performing. And it gives them information. It gives them information about if they see a change in moisture content between layers of that roof construction that they know something's going wrong. That might be because the building's getting old and that roofing solution is now past its design life. It might be that the, the material that you, is used has been badly manufactured, so it gives them more information around um, the product life and how they can improve it. It might also be about how it was installed, but actually what it does do, um, it gives you all that information, but it actually also uh, changes your business model because it gives you uh, a constant flow of income because you are selling the service of water tightness. And in selling the service of water tightness, what you're doing is you're having regular income from that service rather than lumpy income 
from just selling a product as a one-off exchange. In doing that, you also get closer to the client because you have these regular conversations about um, what you might want to do to improve it, or if you're seeing a change in moisture content, given that example, um, you know, when's the best time to actually come in and actually fix that problem under that contract? That changes um, the relationship. You know, if you've got that close relationship with a client, there might be other buildings where that uh, product to service model becomes a better solution. So, um, you know, that's just wanted to kind of unpack that for you in terms of explaining uh, some of those ideas. Um, in this, it is a bit of a change of philosophy as well. You know, when we talk about lifetime extension, how do we make sure that um, as you collect that data, we talked about that example a few moments ago, how do we ensure that we are designing our products so they can be upgraded? How do we ensure that we are making sure that we're being more adaptable, we can renovate, we can maintain um, that those products in a way that is really giving us market advantage. And as I said, you know, the more information, the more data we collect, it helps us refine our product. It helps us improve the way we've installed it. It helps it, you know, we can actually install it in a way that can be easily removed and upgraded, etc. So we need to kind of, you know, use that data. And that's why I think this, um, sharing with you the sort of industry 4.0 was important to show that that better understanding of uh, a service model and how we can use data more effectively uh, is so important in terms of that process but there are risks in terms of how do we kind of find the right uh, barriers in terms of kind of manufacturing how do we understand the logistics in terms of volumes uncertainty in terms of finance sometimes can be an issue as you make that transition um, I kind of then wanted to kind of just share with you a few more examples. So um, we, we've touched upon some of this already uh, in terms of information, uh, in terms of examples. I do think that um, BIM and FIM uh, facilities sort of information um, is incredibly important in understanding this uh, product to service and this performance space, because as you go into uh, this issue around uh, offering a service rather than offering a product, you have to stand by the performance that you are offering to your client. If I can give you a few examples just to hopefully make this come alive, um, you know, there are now manufacturers out there uh, not offering lighting solutions, but will offer you a level of lighting in an office uh, against the contractual terms that you are asking for. So you might say that I need this level of lighting in my office space between seven and seven. And actually, if you don't deliver it, there will be contractual kind of obligations or forfeits and penalties uh, in that contract to make sure that uh, you are delivering it in the way it was intended. Um, but actually, that's where I think, you know, when you start to think about circularity and products to services and this whole experience that we talked about uh, in terms of the social capital and the human capital. It does bring in new services such as making sure you're not just providing lighting to the correct um, level of lighting, but you're also bringing in services such as circadian lighting, so that you're increasing the productivity of spaces, so that your customers are feeling good about their workforce because you are really thinking about the circadian proteins and the circadian rhythms that uh, really affect all of us uh, in an office environment. Equally, when it comes to temperature, you know, uh, some contractors, some, some, some providers now are providing 
temperature as a service. And in that, we can talk about air quality and making sure that sufficient and the right quality of air is actually within an office environment. And so that service becomes important because it is fundamental in terms of having a healthy environment. So there's lots of ways that we can look at circularity and we can look at the the models that we create in terms of you know using data more efficiently to understand what uh, components sit in a building and how we can actually use that information to release those components as that building comes to its end of life or we want to adapt it. We can think about the different models that basically are part of that process and, and actually really uh, driving change in a, in a much, much more positive way. Uh, I mentioned this already, but it's important to reinforce it, uh, hence why I've inserted this diagram, that if we take on the principles of circularity, um, we need to actually shift the emphasis in terms of how we design. We need to place more emphasis on the planning and design phase um, because that then you know allows us the ability to change it and ensures that we're really thinking about how we can refurbish that product how we can reuse that how we can create spaces that are adaptable if we don't design that in at the start when it comes to the operation and the refurbishment and the other phases uh, that Charlotte mentioned as part of the built environment strategy for BSI it becomes more difficult it becomes more costly and so we do need to ensure that as architects, as professionals in this space, that we are given the mandate, we're given more opportunity to um, place greater emphasis on the plan and design phase of any of the construction projects so that we're thinking about how that space might be used in the future. And there's some really good examples that I, I've shared recently with other people is that uh, if you look at some buildings, they might have a design purpose of an office space. Um, but actually, as we start to see a change in needs um, in our real estate, if we've designed them in the right way, you know, could that be a hotel? And even in a conversation I had uh, yesterday with somebody, we were talking about uh, as there's a change in need in the real estate uh, within our urban areas, can some buildings be turned into virtual farming? You know, can you create shell and core buildings such that they are so flexible that actually, you know, their purpose um, is down for you to define? Um, and actually that becomes uh, a great flexibility in terms of how you think about those spaces. Um, and in this in this conversation, um, I, I wanted to reflect a little bit more in terms of where BSI are uh, um, in a process to support you to improve. So we've already talked about, you know, the capital models in terms of how they are important for your success and fundamental to the work we do. And Charlotte mentioned this right at the start in terms of talking about uh, BSI um, and how we are a standards body. What we look to do and what I look to do and, and all my colleagues in BSI look to do is make sure that we help you by collecting knowledge, collecting that best practice, writing it down, creating our standards, creating solutions, assurance solutions, creating training, which really helps you improve. And that, that process of improvement over time um, creates within your organization good governance. Um, it's very clear when you talk to our auditors and, and our training team that people who have been on our courses and start to kind of then apply it back 
really do ensure that good governance and that transparency um, really comes alive within an organization. Fundamental uh, to all of our success is economics, making sure that we as businesses are successful in what we do. And, and we always look to try and ensure that you do that through the way we develop our best practice and our knowledge. And that's about creating a healthy, just society to make sure that that knowledge really helps you improve. And, and I hope through these webinars and through the standards we create, that basically means that we are supporting you to really live within your environmental limits. So I think that the BSI sort of philosophy is around those five elements in terms of how we help you uh, drive change. And, and the subtle thing about um, our standards, which probably before I joined BSI, I probably was um, like many of you, wasn't really sort of um, aware of is they operate in a very subtle way at different levels of different organizations. So if you look at um, uh, 8001, which is the standard on circular, uh, circular economy, it, it sets down principles, it sets down kind of um, ideas in terms of how you can help businesses improve. It is a great standard in terms of embedding principles in an organization in terms of that journey for improvement. And then as you start to kind of think about uh, the more detail in terms of, you know, some of those issues around governance and environmental management systems, things like 14,001 is a really good sort of thematic in terms of driving that change. And then as you come down in terms of practical application, sort of 2012 is a good example of how I can run a sustainable event. So the way we work is we, we try and actually make sure that our standards work at different levels in different ways to help you improve as an organization. Um, so all standards are not made the same way. They're there to help you in different ways to uh, improve upon that journey. So mindful of time, um, as always am when doing uh, webinars, I could talk forever. Um, I just wanted to kind of unpack 8001 a little bit more. As I said just a few moments ago, uh, it is the first standard on circularity. Um, and it's great if you've not read it already in terms of helping you uh, on the journey to improvement in this space. Uh, it includes all that we've talked about already. It's about how you collaborate, um, about value uh, in terms of optimization, transparency, innovation. Um, it's there to try and help you understand what is best practice. Uh, it's there to make sure you are there to improve um, and gives you the kind of sort of the thinking to do that. Um, I was talking to, to Charlotte uh, before this webinar, um, and, and one of the things that I've been talking to our training team about is I want to kind of then take those kind of ideas about support, collaboration to the next level. And as we're designing our new um, training course on circularity, uh, one of the things that I'm really keen to kind of include is, is to make sure that if you attend one of BSI's training courses, part of the package is not only getting the knowledge and the standard to help you on the journey to try and apply circularity, but also making sure that um, you're supported. And actually as part of that journey, uh, you have access to me, you have access to other experts in BSI, so that as you're kind of working through 
uh, how um, you can apply the standard and circularity. Uh, you've also got access to a wealth of knowledge, uh, an opportunity to be challenged and to um, be supported to make sure that you apply the standard in the right way. Um, in terms of kind of going to the next level and say, I'm just mindful now in terms of how much longer I've got to kind of unpack some of this. Um, I wanted to share with you um, a few more thoughts, I suppose. Um, so when we when we talk about circularity, um, I want to kind of leave you with this opportunity that is presenting itself because it is, as I started uh, the presentation, full of opportunities. And so when you start to look at some of the concepts around circularity, there are lots of additional thoughts that we can have in terms of what does change look like, what does what does good look like? You know that that concept or that build back better that we uh, talked about right at the start. It has many levels. And so as you start to think about um, circularity, um, also think about being inspired by nature. So the issue of biomimicry, I think, is very very important. So if you kind of go back to the definition we started with, you know, early on in the presentation. Um, there is a lot we can learn from nature. And if you start to look at some of the buildings that are being constructed today, many of them take their inspiration from nature in terms of uh, some of the materials design. If you look at some of the buildings in the Middle East, for instance, in terms of the materials they use, they take some of their inspiration from the sand lizard uh, so that the, um, the local environment um, means that the sand doesn't kind of sit on the building um, and have create um, major kind of maintenance issues. There are lots of issues around how we can think about reducing the HVAC load, for instance, by using natural shading. So biomimicry and making sure we understand our buildings and understand how we can take inspiration from other sources, I think, is important. Um, going back to this this point that I mentioned earlier about product to service, uh, embedded in that process of thinking is also about performance. Uh, the performance gap, however you want to measure it, however you want to look at it, is very important in terms of the built environment. Making sure what we say we're going to deliver and what we actually deliver is fundamental. I think in the past, if I'm honest, we've not always been particularly good at that because we've not um, been in the thinking about ensuring we're wedded to the client and wedded to the processes um, of the services we provide. If we go down circularity and we start to think the product to service to experience economy, which we talked about fairly early on, that performance gap should get smaller because you're providing a service and you're contractually obliged to deliver that service. And therefore, how do I make sure that I'm achieving what I said I was going to achieve. So actually making sure we think about things in that way uh, is important. Uh, regenerative design, if we think about the materials and the processes, uh, I gave that example uh, of that building in terms of modular design that was um, generating more electricity than it was consuming because of good design, uh, good manufacturing in terms of um, how it was constructed in a factory, etc. There's a lot to this which we can unpack. So I don't want to leave you with a kind of shallow view of circularity. I want to challenge you, I suppose, that this can take you 
And this agenda of thinking can take you to lots of different places in terms of how you develop your business, how you develop your thinking, how you develop your your relationship with your client, how you challenge your own organizational way of working, because however you cut it, uh, there's a lot to be had. And so um, in kind of summary, I suppose, in terms of just bringing things back together, uh, probably not my best diagram in the world, um, but if we look at the very top of it, uh, our thinking at the moment is linear. It is about extract, make, use, dispose. And the circles that sit below that line is where we really need to be. We need to think about sharing. How do we actually think about sharing more effectively? And we talked a little bit about buildings as resource banks. How do we make sure that we Think about lifetime extension, how we provide that as a service, how we create those buildings that can be more adaptable. How do we reuse? How do we repurpose? How do we refurbish, recondition? How do we make sure that we really are thinking in a way that is very, very different from how we have constructed uh, our buildings, our real estate, uh, our assets in the past? We need to make those changes. And in those changes, there are great opportunities for all of us to succeed. And what I think it's important to end on um, around us in other parts of our world, the world has changed. And sometimes we don't even notice it or we don't even think about how the world's changed and what it really means. And so uh, I just put on the screen there and some of you may have seen some of these examples before that. Um, if we think about kind of like, you know, the world's largest movie house has no cinemas, you know, um, how accommodation providers have none of their own real estate, how taxi companies have no taxis. Um, in, in our construction industry, there is a lot, lot of opportunities to redefine what good looks like. There are a lot of opportunities to make sure that we think differently how we work at the moment. And in that, we can do it in a way that minimizes the impact we have, that makes us more commercially successful, makes our clients happier because of the service we're providing. For me, this conversation we're having, and I hope we're going to continue to have because you're going to contact me to talk about it more, is a real opportunity to really make a change in the industry. So thank you. I think, Charlotte, it's over to you now. Thank you, Martin. Uh, lots of lots of food for thought there. Um, really interesting point. So thank you very much. And uh, moving on, before we go into our Q&A session, we have got some questions that have come in, um, but we would just like to run a final poll before we ask Martin and uh, um, for your your thoughts and insight. So. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the webinar, um, our, our purpose really is to is to help um, support, and we can do that in various different ways depending on where you are in your own circular economy journey. Um, so, if you would like any more information on anything that you can see on the screen, whether it's standards and subscriptions, training, certification, consultancy. Or um, we are working with Martin on a forthcoming report on sustainable construction. I'm sure some of the thoughts that Martin has shared with you um, here today will be you know, explored further. So do select that if you would like to be amongst the first to have your own um, digital copy 
of that. So we're going to leave that on the screen now, um, just whilst I ask you a, a few questions, Martin, if that's okay. Um, and that's to start here. off, <laughs> absolutely, we need to pick your brains even further. No um, so uh, the first question is really um, reflects the current situation that we all find ourselves in, which is um, what changes have you seen around sustainability and the circular economy since the arrival of COVID-19? Do you have any any comments or observations on that? John, that's a really, that's a really good question. Um, I, I think what's really fascinating to see is that I, I think you know there are a few people who say they could have predicted what happened with covid um but actually i think for most of us it was a shock um some organizations were more resilient and i think go back to the poll that you showed at the start you know a lot of people on this call are seeing themselves they're back in that rebuild phase they're back in that resilient phase which is a demonstration that they have invested time in being digital and and their plans but actually what i'm seeing um from my perspective is I seem to be busier now than I've ever been before. Uh, I didn't think that was possible, you know, at the start of the year, because, you know, BSI are doing some great stuff in this space already. But actually, I think um, lots of organisations have contacted me to say, well, how do we become more sustainable? How do we think differently? How do we know what good looks like for us as an organisation, us for an industry? And actually, I've been pulled into so many great conversations in the last few months where organizations now realize that sustainability isn't something that you add to your business. It's the philosophy you adopt that makes you more efficient, that makes you more effective, that you know improves your brand, that really helps you set the pace for your company, your culture. Um, and so, you know, playing to your question, I suppose, you know, there are so many great conversations going on because people, I think, are starting to realise that um, we do need to change as an industry. We do need to think again about what is the business model which will make us successful. And actually what COVID has done in some respect is it's it's quickened the pace of change for some of us because people are innovating, people are adapting, people are reviewing who they are as a business and what they need to do differently. So from the, the many conversations I've had over the last few months, I'm really quite heartened, I suppose, by um, the pace of change, the hungerness for sort of wanting to be more effective and more resilient and more sustainable in the outcome. There are by nature some casualties, I suppose, in that process. But there is um, a piece of work that Harvard did recently, which I thought was really, really good. It looked at uh, this sort of COVID world we live in, it looked at how businesses, which businesses are resilient, which ones are succeeding using sort of financial sort of indices, you know, the FTSE or the Dow Jones, etc. To see those that have adapted and those have invested and those who are really innovating, how they're surviving and how they're actually becoming more profitable, winning more contracts because they're more agile they're more reflective, they're innovating quicker. So there's some great stuff that's going on at the moment. Um, you know, it, it, it's not an easy time for the industry and I, I'm fully aware having worked in the construction industry for most of my working life, that actually, you know, um, there's a lot of casualties out there. There's a lot of people who maybe are having to follow different careers now, but overall, you know, 
there's some really great conversations going on now in the industry, which I think I'm really heartened by. Absolutely. And that kind of opportunities for for change. Exactly. Yeah. um, We've had a really interesting question in from um, Siva Kumar, who has said, um, is the concept of circular economy shaped by policymakers in government and other industry bodies like BSI on a daily basis? Do contractors have any incentive to bother about circular economy? And I thought that is a very interesting question. That, that. That is a very thoughtful question. Um, there's 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 a lot of layers to this. Um, I I actually think that um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because um, I think companies can define their own future. You know, there are many companies that have already adopted circularity. Um, I mentioned names, I suppose, because it's always good to give examples. So if you look at, you know, organizations like Philips Lighting, they sell lighting levels. If you look at interface flooring, they sell uh, carpet solutions and they're already basing themselves around circularity. But actually, um, there are some interventions required sometimes across the world to really think about accelerating this change. So we've had an acceleration from COVID, but actually, if you look at what's going on in Japan, there's legislation that was brought in in terms of recycling electrical goods and actually reusing, repurposing. We've done some work ourselves with British Gas. So when components are taken out of boilers and um, how do we actually make sure that they can be repurposed and actually brought back into the supply chain? If you look at some of the work that the Dutch have done, they've done some really good policy interventions in terms of pairing old buildings with new buildings. Um, And I think for me, um, we can start this journey on our own, but actually we might find that some policy interventions are needed and maybe sometimes even some financial measurements are needed to kind of accelerate the growth we're seeing. So it's a really good question to ask. I think we we can define our own future. And as professionals on this kind of this this webinar, I think we can source materials differently. We can look at supplies differently and actually talk to our clients about how we want to make their building, their infrastructure, their project, their component the best it can be and challenge them in the way that hopefully I've challenged you a little bit to think differently. So the ask of the question, you know, it's beholden all of us to make change. It's about making us think differently about what we can do on a project. Uh, sometimes I think we are going to need intervention from policymakers. Um, and I think that all that's going to do is just accelerate what we've been talking about today. Thank you. Yes, a, a, a joint effort, but um, yeah, exactly those, so. those government drivers can can sometimes help make all the difference, can't they? Definitely. Um, any more examples of where you've seen circular economy, you know, that, that approach work well? I mean, you've given us a few today, but uh, anything else you'd like to share? Um, there are endless examples, I think. Um, and I, I suppose I'm very fortunate in being in BSI because, you know, I, I work across all the regions of the globe. Um, there are so many good examples now of small organizations and big organizations making this shift. Um, I think I could be here for the next hour or two just going through them all. Um, I suppose that the, the, the way I'd answer your question is if people have got a particular challenge or a particular issue they're 
trying to wrestle with and they need a really tangible example, you know, drop me an email and I'll try and give you the best examples I can related to the space that you're working in. And, 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 I, and I say that not just kind of dodge the question, but I really do want to make sure that this is a conversation rather than a monologue. And actually, there are so many examples in my head at the moment about, you know, uh, heating, lighting, material use, adaptability, you know, design solutions where circularity is, is now built into good design and good buildings that uh, I feel almost like I'm going to leave an example out and feel bad about leaving it out. So um, I, I do think there there's so many, so many good examples out there at the moment. Well, you gave a very, very brilliant one earlier, which was the uh, the car park and, you know, yeah. thinking about the space above um, and how that could be used and be so flexible for the future. Um, I thought that was fascinating. It, 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 I, I think it's, it's really interesting because um, I know I know the, the developer, the architect really well. And um, he plays the role that I've, I've played with with our listeners today, which is to challenge, to say, you know, let's just think about the problem differently. You've already got, you know, we, we talk about our urban areas. In fact, one of my slides was talking about uh, mass urbanization, you know, more people moving into cities, you know, discuss if that's still going to be a, a post-COVID kind of sort of reality. But he was saying to, to local authorities, you've got lots of land, you just don't realize it. They're called car parks, but actually you're only using a very small level of that car park think about the space above think about how you can occupy that in a more efficient way think about how i can provide a solution that is incredibly affordable incredibly adaptable you know and actually when we are all moving to electric vehicles the surplus energy from these residential units will actually be available um, off-grid to charge those electric vehicles it's a powerful futuristic way of thinking that can be delivered today and actually the way those modules have been designed, constructed, transported is highly efficient, um, such the point that they are locally produced. Every time that there is a problem in a local area, uh, he will um, you know, rent a local warehouse, produce those modules locally, create local jobs, and then solve the problem and then move on to the next site where he will find another vacant warehouse, create local jobs, create those those pods locally. It's powerful, but it solves the problem at so many different levels. Mm. I mean, you mentioned sort of buildings as resource banks, and I love that uh, that description. And that I, I feel for me, that case study gives a, a, a great example of that. Indeed, indeed. This, this, yeah. I say that this, you could go on talking and, and as you kind of pick one example, your mind then triggers to the next example. Um, so, that, you know, I, I'm, I'm heartened and you know, I had a couple of slides kind of painting the, the harsh reality that the industry has got a lot to improve in terms of its use of materials and, and, and how we operate. But out there now, there are increasingly good examples of best practice, which we need to embrace and we need to kind of adopt and we need to understand. And actually something you and I talked about earlier on today, you know, when things don't go well, let's not hide uh, those mistakes. Let's learn from those mistakes and, and actually really make sure that we, we build back better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you very much. So I think that that reach uh, brings us to the end of the questions. I'll just ask for the for the poll to close and we'll share the last um, couple of slides. So 
really all that remains from me is to thank you, Martin, for presenting, um, for answering the questions from our audience, um, and to thank everybody from all over the world for joining us. And to conclude with our final message, which is really that there is clearly so much to be gained from taking a circular approach in terms of collaboration, efficiency, and taking much greater care of the resources that we have and moving away from the gone for good approach to uh, coin one of Martin's phrases. So we do hope you're gonna join us in this, this venture um, and that Martin's in insight has shown how a sustainable business can help uh, be a resilient one. So do join me and Martin again as he explores future topics in the future not to be missed. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you.